Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us today to count our blessings, to see all the wonderful things that you have done for us and given to us. We pray that you would give us thankful hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the middle of exam season with the GCSEs and A-levels continuing for another couple of weeks or so. Some students might have finished by now depending on their exam timetable uh, but most are still working hard at the revision. It's 18 years now since I was doing my GCSEs And most of the things that I learned, I have to confess, went in one ear or one eye, uh, stayed in my head just long enough to sit the exam, and then promptly went out the other eye or ear or whatever it was. But the odd time, a random line from one of the poems that we learned in Mrs. Carson's English Lit class echoes round my head. And this week, as I was working on our passage of scripture from 1 Timothy, a line from one of those poems came back to me. I had to look up who wrote it because I'd forgotten that. But it was William Wordsworth, hymn of, you know, the cloud of daffodils fame. And he says this, The world is too much with us. Late and soon, getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. The world is too much with us. Late and soon, getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Writing in the early 1800s, William Wordsworth laments the greed and the busyness of business. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Now, if he thought that back then in the 1800s, I wonder what he would make of our consumer society today. Shopping channels dedicated to making you part with your money for a bargain knife set or his and hers watches or anything else that you could possibly imagine. Adverts on most of the other channels designed to make you want a newer, bigger, better version of the thing that you already have that works very well. Phone, car, perfume, you name it, they'll try to sell it. Tailored internet adverts where Google read the mail in your email account and the pages that you visit and then try to sell you the things that you've thought about buying. All at a special price, of course. Wordsworth's words are worth much as they diagnose the problem of a consumer society. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Many today would agree and misquote the Bible as they try to figure out the problem. So you might have heard someone say that money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
They see money as the problem and some form of socialism or communism as the solution. Just get rid of money. It's evil. You don't want to have it or use it. But that just won't do. You see, the Bible doesn't say that money is a root of all kinds of evils. Money itself is neutral. Something that we use to conduct business, to be paid and to buy goods and services. The Bible says that it's the love of money. The desire for more. That is a root of all kinds of evils. Because then you make it your God. The thing to be worshipped. The thing to serve. Your dreams become schemes to make more and more. For Wordsworth, the escape from this getting and spending in the rest of the poem that I couldn't remember, it lies in pagan Greek mythology. He thought that the solution was to get back to nature and worship the Greek gods. But the living God tells us here in his word that the answer to greed and getting is found in a very different practice. It's not something that sits naturally or easily with us. In fact, a Puritan preacher wrote a book in the 1600s describing it as the rare jewel. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. Paul had sent young Timothy to be the church leader in Ephesus. And he writes this letter that we're looking at today to encourage him and to remind him what he should be teaching the Christians in Ephesus. Throughout the letter there's an emphasis on godliness, on becoming more like God when you have been saved by God. It's applied to various situations but in the last chapter, the chapter that we're looking at today, Paul addresses the problem Of false teachers who don't hold to the gospel. Instead, uh, verse 8, if you have it in front of you. Sorry, verse 5. Not verse 8, verse 5. They reckon, imagining at the end of verse 5, that godliness is a means of gain. They look at being a Christian as a way of lining their pockets and becoming rich. They reckon that they can make a fortune out of being a Christian leader. But look at verse 6. See how Paul turns it around. They think that godliness will lead to gain. But Paul says now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. The great gain in godliness comes when you're content. And Paul gives us the reason for that in verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. When a baby is born, it has nothing to its name. It might not even have a name, to be honest, at the start. However hard she might work, 
for however long she lives, whether she makes a fortune or dies in debt, she cannot take anything with her. It's a bit like, do you ever see the programme The Chase on TV, Channel 3, about tea time? No matter how many thousands the team might have accumulated in the opening round, whenever the chaser catches them, no matter what the figure is in front of them, it goes down to zero. They can't take anything with them because they've been caught. And Paul says it's the same for each one of us in life. No matter how much we might have, no matter how much uh, how, how well we may be doing, the figure always drops to zero. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world. So Paul says that the great gain of godliness is contentment. Now what does that look like? Look with me at verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Enough to live on, enough to get by. The Bible challenges us today on this gift day. Is enough really enough for us? The next two verses highlight the dangers of the love of money. It's a snare and a diversion. Paul writes, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. You see, you don't realise until you're caught and then it's too late. So late that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You see, the opposite of contentment is uh, that sense of greed, that love of money, uh, which traps us and leads us away. Paul says there is great gain in godliness with contentment. As we come towards a close, Paul applies this contentment in two ways. For Timothy, the man of God, and for all of us, from verse 11, he is to flee these things and instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. It's a bit like the stranger danger advice given to children. If there's a danger, if there's someone who is threatening you, then run away. Get away from whatever or whoever is leading you astray. So if you feel that the love of money is attempting to take you, then get away from it. And instead, take hold of what you have. Verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of Of many witnesses. Take hold of that eternal life. Which is stored up. Which is safe. Which isn't affected by your bank balance. Or your stocks and shares portfolio. Hold on to it. But Paul also applies this command. To be content. 
to the rich in this present age. Verse 17. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So don't be haughty. Don't be proud or think that you are something because of what you have, because of your wealth. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, as uh, the small print on the mortgage ads always tell us. The value of investments can go down as well as up. Instead, set your hope on God, who doesn't fluctuate, but who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So if God has given us everything, then what we have is to be used for his service. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Paul says to use your wealth in this world, not for yourself, but to store up treasure in heaven as you take hold of that which is truly life. The reformer Martin Luther once said that the last part of a person to be converted is their wallet. If we're so used to living for ourselves, putting our own needs first, then it's not surprising that it's difficult to change our thinking. And our way of living. You see the desire for security is always strong. Being financially responsible is a good thing. But we need to remember that our ultimate security lies beyond this life. Where pounds and euros and dollars are just as useless. As if you went into Tesco with monopoly money. They are of no value at all. Paul today in our Bible reading reminds us that God gives us everything. It's all from him and it's all for him. We need to practice contentment. As we say enough is enough. And also practice generosity towards others. As we take hold of that which is truly life. And hold loosely the things of this world. Then. And only then. Will we find that rare jewel of Christian contentment. And discover the great gain. That can be found nowhere else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment and at this time, we lay our lives before you. We acknowledge that all we have comes from your hand. 
Help us, Lord, to be thankful. Help us, Lord, to be content. To say that enough is enough. Father, show us ways that we can be generous towards others. Help us to see those who are in need. Help us not ignore the cry of the needy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.